0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much to the band for leading us uh, this morning. And uh, may the Spirit awaken us through His Word. May the Spirit fall afresh on us today, especially as we look at the book of Ephesians. Well, in Greek mythology, there is this island where the sirens live, and the sirens sing these beautiful songs, these beautiful but deadly songs. And it was said that no man who passes by the island of the sirens can hear the songs and not follow the songs where they lead to the island. And all who hear the songs end up dead on the shore. So, uh, I mean, we've all heard the song of sin, so to speak, and we've all capitulated to some degree. And I'm sad to report that as a pastor over the years here, I have seen uh, more people than I care to count capitulate in ways that change their lives and not for the better. In fact, I've seen many people suffer what Paul calls elsewhere shipwreck of the faith and deny Christ altogether eventually. So the question before us today is, how can we resist sin on the one hand and embrace righteousness on the other? And the Apostle Paul has for us an approach this morning and some words that are going to help us to do this. And uh, our world needs people whose minds are renewed. Our world needs people who are steadfast in their commitment to Christ and are growing in their relationship with Christ. And I believe our text this morning can help us be those kinds of people. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 17 all the way down to 24. We're going to look at it in two sections, first of all. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, this church, and probably more than one church in that part of the world, says, I don't want you to walk as or live as the Gentiles do. You used to do that, but now that you've come to Christ, I don't want you to do that anymore. And the Gentiles in this case would be unbelieving Gentiles. I don't want you to do that anymore. And we saw last week, beginning with Ephesians chapter 4, at the beginning, that Paul wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We've been called by the gospel to follow Jesus and to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, what's the problem here? There's multiple problems that are articulated, but the essential problem is this, it's hardness of heart. If you follow the text closely, the essential problem is hardness of heart, and that leads to all of these other conditions. So hardness of heart is resistance to the truth and resistance to the truth again and again and again. So the truth could penetrate one's heart, but if you don't listen to the truth and obey the truth, you have hardness of heart, you are resisting the truth. This leads to futility of mind, futility of the mind, so that you're thinking not God's thoughts after him, you're not really connecting with who he is and what he says and his thoughts, you are engaged in what Paul calls futility of the mind so that the way you are thinking is leading to a lifestyle that is absolutely meaningless. You may think of yourself as being successful in your mind, but according to God's mind and his purposes, you're not leading a successful life. You're leading a meaningless or fruitless life, a futile life, which is going nowhere. Uh, These people, Paul says, are darkened in their understanding. They have shut themselves out from the light that would help them understand how to live a meaningful life, not to mention an eternal life. They are alienated from the life of God. The way you get the life of God is to believe in Christ. You believe in Christ. The Spirit comes into your life and gives you the life of God so that the life of God actually dwells within you. But these particular individuals who do not believe in Christ, who have hardened their hearts against the truth, have pushed God away from them so that they are alienated from the life of God. There is ignorance in them. That's willful ignorance. They, they suppress the truth. That's what Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth is that they are disobedient to God and they don't want to listen to that truth because that's painful information. And to actually listen to that and turn to God and turn to God through Christ would require them to give up their allegiance to themselves and give their allegiance to God. And they don't want to do that. So they are ignorant. They don't pay attention to that truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And if you make decision after decision after decision to reject the truth, your heart becomes callous so that the truth cannot penetrate your heart. And then, Paul says, these people give themselves up to sensuality, which is unrestrained sexuality and also other sins that have no restraint whatsoever. And so usually a little sensuality is not enough, and so then there's more and more and more and more so that they give themselves up to sensuality as opposed to giving themselves up to God. And to serve his purposes. And they eventually become greedy. And and, and manifest themselves. Their lifestyles. in, In all sorts of impurity. So that's what happens. It all begins with hardness of heart. And it progresses in this unseemly manner. So these particular individuals. Paul says. Have given themselves over. To the destructive forces of their own appetites. So that their own appetites. Sort of control everything. If I want it, it must be good. That's how these particular individuals live, according to the Apostle Paul. Now, his diagnosis here of these particular Gentiles in his part of the world would be an accurate diagnosis of many people in our world. Many people in our world have hardened their hearts against God and have become callous so that the truth cannot penetrate their hearts and they live in the futility of their minds. So what does God then think about those who have hardened their hearts against him? What does Jesus think of those who have hardened their hearts against him? We can answer that question by going to the gospel. Specifically, we can go to the gospel of Mark, because there were some individuals there that Jesus encountered who had hardened their hearts against him. They were his enemies. They opposed him. They eventually wanted him to wanted his death, and eventually were able to bring that about. They were called the Pharisees. And we see that in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when Jesus encountered the Pharisees, he was grieved because of their hardness of heart. He was grieved because of their hardness of heart. Not angry, but grieved, saddened. He loves the Pharisees. He loves his enemies. He wants them to change. He wants their hearts to become soft. So Mark gives us a glimpse into Jesus's heart, his softness of heart. What is it that can melt a hardened heart? It is softness of heart. It's when you see love. If you could see into the heart of Jesus, how Jesus loves even his enemies, how he grieves for them, how he grieves for people who want to kill him. That can change a heart, if you can see that. And let me ask, those of you who have not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can you see that? Can you see, perhaps, that you have hardened your heart, that you've resisted the truth? And can you, at the same time, see that Jesus loves you in that hardness, that Jesus wants to penetrate that hardness of heart with his softness of heart, so that you can see that God loves you? So I urge you, if that's your condition, turn from your hardness of heart and turn to Jesus and receive Jesus and you will have eternal life. Now, Paul's purpose here is not to convert unbelievers. It's to instruct believers because it's very possible for those of us who believe in Christ to live like this. I've seen it, you've seen it. Perhaps you've gone down this road. Perhaps you've gone way down this road and turned around. It's possible to go down this road. So Paul is warning us, I don't want you to live like this. This is not a life enhancing way to live. This is a destructive way to live. And you can just look at this and say, oh yeah, I don't wanna live that way. Now, Every once in a while you read about this research that has been done of church folks, people who claim to follow Jesus, and the research shows that people who claim to follow Jesus in terms of their ethics that they are little different from people who do not follow Jesus. It's very discouraging. You continue to read this stuff over and over again and it can be discouraging because obviously the scriptures believe in transformation that those of us who believe in Jesus should be and can be transformed, and yet, at least in the United States of America, transformation doesn't seem to be happening as much as we would like. Alan Andrews is a, uh, a, a leader of the church at large and has worked to, for the sake of renewal in the church, and he comes to this conclusion. Despite great efforts and countless amazing programs of the American church, transformed and changed lives are not the norm. Now, that is discouraging. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul, in our passage today, holds out hope that we can be transformed, and he gives us a practical approach by which we can be transformed. So, let's hear what he has to say. Verse 20. Paul does not say you, learned, you did not learn about Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way. So they learned Christ through the teaching of Paul, through the teaching of other apostles. They learned Christ. They learned, they, yeah, of course they learned about Christ, but they learned Christ. They learned Christ in order to know Christ. First of all, then, when we talk about spiritual transformation, learn Christ to know Christ. Not specifically and necessarily at first what he teaches, like I want to follow this, but here's what he says, here's who he is, here's how he reveals himself in the gospels. I want to learn Christ to know Christ because it's a relationship with Christ that is the basis for spiritual transformation and everything follows from that. So we want to follow Christ, of course, but first of all, we want to know Christ And if we don't know Christ, following Christ and following in his way is not going to make sense to us. So Jesus defines himself. He not only teaches, he also defines himself through these seven I am statements in the gospel of John. He simply says, here's who I am. I am the bread of life, for example. There are seven of these statements where he reveals himself to us. We, by the way, after Easter are going to be studying those particular statements uh, from the Gospel of John in seven sermons. We're going to look at each of those statements, each of those I am statements, in which Jesus discloses himself to us. We're going to learn Christ to know Christ. Now, Paul says, um, you did not learn Christ in this way, assuming that you have heard about him and been taught in him. So this word assuming assumes that that has happened. So Paul is assuming that these people have indeed learned Christ and have been taught the way of Christ. And literally, they have not heard about him. They have heard him. So that word about has been inserted by our translators. It's, they've heard him. Again, this is intensely personal and intimate. They, they have heard him. They have been taught in him. Again, that's, that's an intimate, personal way. We've been taught in Christ. We've been taught by Christ, we've been taught about Christ, of course, but we've been taught in Christ in a very intimate way. And truth is in Christ. It's not just that Jesus speaks the truth, although, of course, he does. Jesus embodies the truth. Jesus, the truth is in Jesus. Now, here, Paul is very close to um, what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am, one of those I am statements, I am the way, the truth and the life. So first of all then, know Christ. know Christ as well as you possibly can, especially through the Gospels, and draw near to Christ. And this is going to have a transforming effect in your life. That's exactly what Paul says, by the way, in Second Corinthians chapter three and chapter four. He says that we who know Christ are beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. And as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are being transformed by the Spirit into the same image that we behold, that being the image of God in the face of Christ. So we're being transformed. Into the likeness of Christ, as we behold Christ, as we behold how great He is, as we behold His love, as we behold His power, as we behold His courage, as we behold His gentleness, as we behold His mercy, and draw near to Christ, see who He is, and that's going to have a transforming effect in your life, so that you be, in your life so that you become more like Christ. It makes sense, doesn't it? It is a a simple spiritual law of the world that you become like that which you worship. It is also a simple law of relationship that if you become very close to someone, don't you even sometimes pick up some of those person's mannerisms even or maybe their way of thinking? Draw close to Jesus and the spirit is going to have a transforming effect in your life. Now then, here's some practical advice On top of that, first of all, draw near to Jesus. Second of all, put off the old self, or literally the old person. Uh, And that is uh, that old person was corrupted by deceitful desires. It's like, uh, you know, it was these desires, not all desires are good. Some people think if I want something, it's good. Not all desires are good. In fact, a lot of desires are deceitful. So don't be deceived is what Paul is saying. Put off that old self or that old person and then put on the new self or the new person which has been created or recreated in righteousness and holiness has been recreated in Christ. So it's, it's almost as simple as changing clothes. Taking off the old clothes And putting on the new clothes. And it involves thinking through things. Looking at things. And seeing things for what they are. That this old self is corrupt. It's deceitful. It stinks. It's no good. I'm going to take off that. And I put on this new set of clothes. You see the world for what it is. And the spirit helps us to see that. What is Life enhancing on the one hand, and what is life diminishing on the other? We put off what is life diminishing, and we put on what is life enhancing. So uh, Jesus says this, first words out of, out of his mouth in the gospel of Mark, repent and believe the gospel. So those of us who believe have already made this initial choice to turn away from the bad and to turn to the good. We have repented and we have believed. And now this pattern that has been established in terms of our first belief is then repeated through the rest of our lives as we continue to put off the old and to put on the new. And Paul, in fact, says that this is something we have already done in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, you have already put aside the old. You have already put on the new. So it's already happened, but now continue to do it moment by moment, day by day. We have to continually do this over and over again because we have choices that face us every day. And it's as simple almost as changing clothes and recognizing, yeah, this set of clothes stinks. This new set of clothes is beautiful and fragrant. And fragrant. Now, I'm a big believer in Camp PBC. That's something we do as a church. Every summer we go to Lake Siskiyou and uh, we spend a week together and you experience community in a powerful way when you go to Camp PBC. Let me also say this. You also experience dirt in a powerful way. There's this fine red dirt on the banks of Lake Siskiyou and you can't avoid it. It gets kicked up, and it gathers to your clothes. Now, on one particular Camp PBC experience, I somehow left my duffel bag at home. And we drive in the car, and we're getting to Lake Siskiyou, and I'm getting the sense that maybe I forgot something. Maybe I left my duffel bag. I couldn't remember whether I put my duffel bag in the car or not. And sure enough, as we're unloading everything... We get there, and my duffel bag is nowhere to be found, which means all I have for a whole week in the dirt of Lake, of Lake Siskiyou is the clothes that I have on my back. Ooh. Well, there were some people who had mercy on me and lent me a few things. Nevertheless, let me put it this way. When I got home a week later, I was more than happy to put off the old and to put on the new. And I was given a practical illustration of how there are certain ways to live that stink. (laughs) And there is a way to live that is beautiful as you trust the Lord to define what is good as you follow that course. Now, in the middle of this put off and put on thing, Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, which is, which is interesting wording. It's like, be renewed. Like, how do I be renewed? It's something that has to be done to me. So obviously the spirit has a role in this whole renewal process. Be renewed. And the spirit of your minds, what is that? That's the, your inner life. It's the way you think in your mind. The way you think about things. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in your mind the way you think. But Paul is also capable of saying this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So it is quite possible, of course, then to renew our minds, to engage in the renewal of our minds and have the spirit join us in this whole transformation process. How do we renew our minds? One of the ways we do it is by thinking things through and saying, that's bad, that's good. I'm going to put that off, I'm going to put that on. And as we do that, our minds are renewed. We renew our minds, and the Spirit renews our minds. Therefore, renew your mind. Learn Christ, to know Christ, then renew your mind. So in Greek mythology, you have the island of the sirens... And if you sail past the island of the Sirens and you listen to their beautiful but powerful and deadly songs, you're going to end up dead on the shore. So what does Odysseus do in the legend? He, sails past, he has to sail past the island of the Sirens on the way back from the Trojan Wars. And he orders all of his men to stop up their ears with wax. But Odysseus wants to listen to the song what does he do? He orders his men to strap him to the mast of the ship with ears unplugged so that he can hear the beautiful songs of the sirens. And he orders them, if you see me squirming, trying to get get free, just tie me tighter. So that's the way Odysseus does it and he's able to sail to safety, he and his men. They sail right past the island of the sirens. They sing their songs. He squirms to get free. He's tied tighter, and they all sail to safety. Jason, on the other hand, has a different way of going about it. He brings with him and with his men um, Orpheus, and it was said that Orpheus sings the most beautiful and most powerful songs ever sung. So indeed, as they are sailing past, as Jason and his men are sailing past the island of the sirens, he orders Orpheus to sing his songs. And they are so beautiful. They are so powerful. They are so sweet that Jason and his men are totally transfixed and they can't even hear the songs of the sirens. And again, they sail to safety. Point. Jesus Sings the sweetest songs. So much better than the songs that sin sings. Jesus sings the sweetest songs. And it's, 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 it's not enough in our world to say, okay, I'm going to stop up my ears with wax. Or I'm going to strap myself to the mast because the the songs of the sirens are not confined to one particular island so to speak the islands are everywhere the sirens are everywhere you can hardly wake up in the morning without hearing the songs of the sirens so to speak you can't stop up your ears all the time you can't strap yourself to the mass what do you do you listen to jesus you listen to jesus because he sings the sweetest songs And we need not take this only on a metaphorical level. Listen to what Zephaniah says. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Lord, your God, exalts over you with loud singing. Jesus, of course, is the embodiment of the Lord, your God. He sings over you with loud singing. The band earlier sang over us. Jesus sings over us. Listen to the songs of Jesus, which are songs of love. We sing, of course, to Jesus. We sing, of course, to the Lord, But can you imagine Jesus is also singing over us? If we could hear those songs, I don't think sin has a chance. Here, the prayers earlier in Ephesians take on a certain importance. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, prays, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Indeed, that's what has to happen. He also prays at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, that we would know the love of God in Christ Jesus, which surpasses knowledge. So if we are going to be renewed, and if we are going to renew our minds, we have to engage with the truth. And the truth is in the word of God. We have to meaningfully engage with the word of God in order to have our minds renewed and to be transformed. This is one way of doing it. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for joining us on the patio. Thanks for coming online. You're doing something for yourself because we are preaching the word of God here. I hope and pray that your minds are being renewed as we look at the word of God. But this is not enough. You have to find other ways to engage with the word of God in order to be renewed, in order to be finally transformed. How do you do that? There are multiple ways of doing this. Let me just uh, highlight for you one way that I think the Lord has led me in uh, that has helped me to renew my mind. So I I have this collection of verses, Bible verses. I have this collection of phrases that emerge from these verses that I have collected over the years when I've encountered verses or phrases or whatever that have been especially meaningful to me. So now they can come back to me if I have them in this collection and that I deploy them on a regular basis so that I can think through all the things that are happening in my life, all the things that, are see- that I'm seeing, and maybe I'm feeling discouraged or maybe I'm feeling depressed, uh, and then I can remind myself of what's true based on some of these verses and some of these phrases. So I can deploy these verses and these phrases throughout the day. But to be honest with you, I'm really not that good at it. I get engulfed in whatever situation I'm I'm involved in and I don't have the wherewithal or the Spirit's not giving it to me. I pray that he would, sometimes he doesn't. Doesn't give me the wherewithal to think, oh yes, this is false, this is true. So what I do at the beginning of the day, I, I spend at least 30 minutes in prayer and reflection. Sometimes it goes to an hour. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. To be honest with you, if I sleep, if I can't sleep the night before, but most, uh, almost all mornings, I spend about 30 minutes or more in prayer and reflection, and I always include a collection of these verses and these phrases. Somehow, they are worked into the beginning of my morning. So I, I've uh, there, there's a, there's this word "hesed" that's been very meaningful to me. It's a Hebrew word that means loyal love or faithful love or loving kindness. And uh, when I repeat the verses to myself, I just leave the word untranslated because it's so precious to me, Hesed. Let me hear your chesed in the morning. Satisfy me in the morning with your chesed because your chesed is better than life. My lips shall praise you. So I go through this little Hesed trilogy every morning to remind myself of the faithfulness of God. I'm trying to renew my mind with what is true. So recently I uh, was reading through the Psalms and I I just started at verse 20. I don't know why, but um, I started there and I was just gonna read for a while. I didn't know for how long and I came to verse chapter 20. Verse four, in which which, uh, David prays this, may he grant you your heart's desire. I thought, oh, that's pretty nice of David to pray for me that way. May he grant you your heart's desire. So that connected me with my heart's desire. And I thought, well, the Lord's already granted a lot of my heart's desires. And he's granted uh, me my heart's desires that I didn't, didn't even know I had. But there's a lot out there that I still want that I still don't get. And so I decided, okay, I'm just going to offer those to the Lord and pray those. Here are my heart's desires, Lord. Here they are. And uh, then in the next Psalm, I come to Psalm 21, verse 2. And David says this, of himself as the king, you have given him his heart's desire. So I had a very uneven response to this verse when I came to this. David says that the Lord has granted him his heart's desire. I thought, wow. Wow. He hasn't granted me my heart's desire. So good on you, David. Uh, you know, I'm, you know first you were praying for me, and then you say, oh, yeah, okay, the Lord's granted you your heart's desire. What about me? What about my heart's desire? You know, one of the things you've got to do with the scriptures is be honest with your own reaction. Just, just have that honest reaction and bring it to the Lord. So I keep reading. Um, I'm, in Psalm, uh, what I, I'm in Psalm 21. I go to Psalm 20. And I skip Psalm 22 and 23 because I know those. I just, I just wanted to go to Psalms I didn't know as well. I know 22, I know 23, I just preached 23. There's more I can get out of it, I'm sure. But I just I went to 24. 24, 25, 26, And I finally get to Psalm 33, verse 21, which says this. For our heart is glad in him, that is the Lord, because we trust in his holy name. Our heart is glad in him, regardless of our heart's desires, Our heart is glad in him. Why? Because we trust in his holy name. Now that was a new thought for me. I thought that, hey, if I trust in the Lord, that can give me peace. I never really thought that if I trust in the Lord, that that can give me joy or gladness in the present. But that makes total sense, doesn't it? That's what it made to me. Anyway, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm thinking about my heart's desires, which have not yet been granted, that if I trust in the Lord, and the Lord is good, and the Lord is powerful, he knows when and whether to grant me my heart's desires, that gives me joy in the present, irrespective of the desires of my heart. I can trust the Lord with all my desires, and he knows better than I what I really want, what I really need. That can give me not only peace in the present, but joy and gladness. That was revolutionary to me. I'd never thought of that before. So now I have a new verse for my collection, and I have a new phrase. That is, trust creates joy, or trust creates gladness. So when my desires aren't getting met, ah, trust creates joy now in the present. So I have an assignment for you this week. I've been doing this lately, haven't I? Been giving you little assignments, some practical tips to maybe sort of put this into practice. So here's what I want you to do this week, every day this week, if you choose. Find a verse that's meaningful to you or a phrase that's meaningful to you. And when you, when you wake up in the morning, repeat it to yourself several times or repeat it to the Lord if it's a prayer. And then before you go to bed at night, do the same thing. Find that verse, find that phrase, repeat it to yourself or repeat it to the Lord. That's a way to renew your mind. Because at the be- <laughs> you wake up, you're facing all kinds of stuff. You go to bed, you have faced all kinds of stuff, but where has the Lord been, all, been in all of this? Renew your mind at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. So that's your assignment for this week. So now we're gonna come to the table. This also is a way to renew our minds. We come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a way to renew our minds. I invite the band to come up and join us at this point. Uh, it's not only a way to renew our minds, it's a way to renew your body. Because think about this, you're taking Jesus into you. The truth is in Jesus, now you're taking Jesus into you. It's his body, it's his blood. And that's what the bread and that's what the cup represents. So um, I'm gonna pray in a second and then we're gonna partake. And uh, after I pray, just spend a few moments, will you, in silent reflection. And I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine Jesus singing over you. I want you to imagine Jesus singing over you, exalting over you with loud singing, loud singing of joy. Just think about that for a few minutes before you partake. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are committed to our renewal. And we thank you that you have given us a way to do that. And we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit... You would motivate us to do these things, to renew our minds, to put off the old, to put on the new, that you would do this great work of transformation in us. And Lord, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us yourself, for teaching us, for revealing yourself to us, and for giving us the bread and the cup by which.